On tonight's Dad Band Land, here's some of what we're going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You feel good about that one? I felt, I felt good about that. Don't be PA. It's, it's, it's good. Hit it. Dadbandland is in the house. DBL, everybody. DBL is here. We're approaching the end of the year. We are here to soothe you. COVID is surging, so we are now all remote. We're we're pulling a a Jeffy Brannion, as it were, because he's been remote a lot lately. Now we're we're all remote. Um, (laughs) But I'm Adam Felber. This is the I started a trend. Yes, we did. This is the podcast where we talk about all the music you love from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band. I'm your host, Adam Felber. I'm your co-host, Kevin Burke. I'm your tri-host, Jeffy Brannion. Nice. Jeffy Brannion, what's in Jeffy's jukebox tonight? Tonight in Jeffy's jukebox, holiday songs that you don't hate. Yeah, nice. That's right. In <laughs> yeah. every Jeffy's jukebox, every week we talk about songs. We Sometimes we pick the topic, sometimes our intrepid Listeners pick a topic, right? And what? Nothing. You're just you're just waxing philosophical uh, on, yeah, I, on a singular I, I question love, I asked you. I love it. I love Jeffy's jukebox. What can I say? I love that you love it. Let's roll on though. Uh, over there, standing in front of that that rundown spooky old house, it's Brian Frank, band manager and the fourth member of our Beatles. Um, Brian, what's up? What's in the house of wax hey, tonight? I'm the uh, the Pete Best of I was the program. Say, you're the Pete Best. Uh, <laughs> that means you're gonna be replaced soon. What are you telling us <laughs> tonight? Are you go- tonight? are you dying? <laughs> that, no, that was Stu Cyclone. 
Tonight we're talking about Dr. Dre's debut album, The Chronic. All right. Wow. Debut solo album. Solo album. Solo album. I've heard of this album. I have too. It's really interesting. I can't wait to talk about it. I have a lot to say, and I'm only going to say some of it. Okay, so uh, let's move on. Uh, Kevin, you and I, our band has a gig coming up. Yeah, allegedly. I mean, it's in the new year, so we have to make it to the new year. But assuming we do. Yeah. Yes, we will And be our performing. set has a bunch of new songs in it. So we can return yeah. to the original mission statement of this podcast, which is that we open by breaking down a song. And how yeah, we an play actual it. song, an actual song that we play as a band <laughs> that other bands could learn from us, either what you do, what you don't do, what would be a terrible song to play, what would be a great song to play. And so we do have a new song. Well, we have a bunch of new songs. One of them is this is exciting. Everyone who's been listening for a while should be excited about this because we have a song in which not only does Adam have a part. Technically, we need two atoms to pull off this part. It's so good. And Kyle, I, I didn't I didn't ask you for this before the show, but um if you could ready, but you don't don't fire it off yet, a needle drop on 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 this song. It's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers Don't Do Me Like That. And Kevin and I are playing it. Kevin, what's it like for you before we get to the keyboard part? You know what? I now know what it's like for you i have so little responsibility during the course of this song i have like <laughs> four chords i i did this i go like dun 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 and then i go then in the chorus don't do me like that i go and that's like all yeah. i do that's all i have to do it's the best it's the best i hit a note on like every beat and that's it i hit a chord god <laughs> and what is, is our other guitarist play in our band is like he's doing the same thing i'm doing he's just yeah. not doing that oh it's the best dude i get used to this yeah. maybe we should play more songs that are complicated for you and not us I'm gonna. Ha- I, I for one, I'm behind that. For two, I think there's <laughs> going to become a moment where I'm gonna suggest, and I'm gonna be told no, that one of our two guitarists doesn't play. That's that's incredible. Guitar? That's incredible. is that crazy? Is that a crazy thought? No, that's that's given that, that it's a song with happen. one guitar. No, but we found different parts to play. We don't play the exact same part. It's it works. Oh, it sounds so good. It, you weren't there for the last <laughs> rehearsal. Adam didn't come to the last rehearsal because. A fear of COVID, and uh, and we we're we're nailing it without the piano part. But let me tell you, from my perspective, there there are two piano parts simultaneously that you have to find a way to play. And the obvious way to perform this is the guitar. You ha- hold, you have a that's, guitar on that's you. That's the opposite of true. That's not like that's that's, that's, that's not an obvious way to do it. Look, I don't know. Like, I'm not a piano player, but I'm just looking at this. Okay. For one, there's a piano. I just feel like you bring up a guitar anytime you want to. (laughs) You're on to my secret, Jeffy. (laughs) Welcome to my life. Hey, but let's uh, let's go ahead and 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 Kyle, do you want to drop the needle on the begin? And we'll hear both keyboard parts. It's a piano and an organ, and then we'll talk about how I'm going to do this. I think with a with a guitar. No. How yeah, awesome is that keyboards. song? How awesome that's are those great. two keyboards? It's, it's a, it is a very good song anyway, regardless of these two piano parts. And that just sounds great. <laughs> I mean, and what we're talking about, to anyone who's listening, you may not be in a band. We're talking about that dun, 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 dun. There's a piano on every note, and then there's that organ thing on top of it. 
that has to be played separately can't be played on the same piano. Yeah, so I went ahead and looked at a uh, live version of this, and I because wa- I was sure that Ben Mont decided to play them both rather than farming it out, and indeed he did. Ben, the great Ben Montench, um, my ex Twitter buddy, he doesn't do much Twitter anymore. Um, <laughs> I might have scared him out of there, uh, and 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 he um, plays it on a grand piano and and some sort of electric keyboard that is simulating a Hammond organ, and the thing that shocked me is that he's playing the piano part with his right hand, those repetitive uh, qu- oh. uh, quarter notes, mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. doing that kind of cool organ riff, which only happens like twice in the song, with his left hand. I don't think I can do that. I'm going to borrow a second keyboard. I thought key- it was the other way around. I'm going to borrow a second keyboard and put the organ on my right because that riff is a little bit complicated, and I'm pretty sure I can maintain uh, quarter is, note is block chords with my left. Is he left-handed? He's just great. <laughs> that that's how I, he wanted to set up and he was like yeah i bet he could have done it the other way because the other way is easier right. he's just fantastic i i thought you were going to say that you were going to use your foot for one of them and and your hand for the other yeah like yeah. Eddie Lee. jerry lee lewis style yeah, yeah that, that's not it that's not those parts are a little uh less clumsy than a jerry lee lewis with your shoe approach I would need prehensile oh, no, toes. toes. Yeah, you said yeah. shoes. Yeah. yeah, toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Toes. I would need that. Um, it's uh, it's pretty fun though. I'm pretty sure I can do it, and we will find out on January the eighth, Kevin. We won't we? Great. I look for, I look forward to finding out then. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, but, no, did- it, but it is a great song. It's not a song I think people think about pulling into their um, sets. So I'm glad. So glad we are. It's just killer. Highly recommended. Yeah, and and despite you're saying like it's a great song without the keyboards, no, it's a song about keyboards. I mean, like it's it's shocking that the Heartbreakers had a hit so early that was just you couldn't that would not work without keyboards. But it's it's such a great couple of parts. Absolutely, mm. absolutely, yeah. And with that, uh, let's roll on down the road to uh, Jeffy's jukebox. Now I'm not going to get artsy fartsy with entering the jukebox or the house of wax tonight and i'll tell artsy, you why artsy do you, so i just want to be clear our previous journeys in jeffy's jukebox were artsy fartsy like they were a high a little art. bit a little bit oh, okay yeah i just want to, be, just want to understand the parameters here at least archy fartsy um i think we we were very arch with <laughs> we were, it we were very very lofty in our we were lofty we were bargy argy bargy and we would <laughs> double it bargy. down with brian frank's uh, house of wax um, and yeah, I got a note from a from a fan recently mm-hmm. that their first dip into our show was very disorienting because we, uh, rather than define what the segments were, we pretended to be in a magical land where we would go to sleep and wake up in a house full of a creepy yeah. man. And, <laughs> to be, oh, to magical be clear. realism, that's what this show is about. To be clear, that <laughs> was... <Magical> realism. <laughs> that was... The most unhinged entry that you ever made to uh, to Brian Frank's House of Wax, like without yes. a doubt, the time you made My us take some sort of medic- medicine and go into a dream state and enter that, even I was lost. <laughs> that's fair. I that's didn't... fair. <laughs> for those of you who want to go back and listen to it, that was our REM's Automatic for the People episode, and we pulled sort of a Dream Warriors thing. Yeah, we all went to sleep together, woke up in Brian's House of Wax. But I'm ratcheting yeah. it back. I'm peeling back the curtain this week, Pulling unilaterally back. deciding lofty. that like. What we're going to do is we're going to do a segment now where okay. Jeffy Branion uh, gets us going on sort of a cocktail party music question. And we've uh-huh. dubbed the segment Jeffy's Jukebox and like hey, to pretend that's that a great it's idea. an actual <laughs> yeah. jukebox in a place. 
This that is so much clearer oh. now. Now I finally get it. You know what, guys? I'm gonna have my mom listen to this episode as the first episode. Do it and see what she says. And she's be like, you know what? I would have loved it if we went through some sort of dream state before we went to your yeah. to your level. That would be great. Have they not seen? It was a little abrupt, day? just starting to talk about music. That was weird. And by the way, in case you're listening to this as your first episode, Mrs. Frank, Brian <laughs> snuck out several times and went to concerts when you said he shouldn't. Uh, Absolutely, including REM. Oh boy! Yeah, he went to REM, and uh, he asked you. you Don't listen to that episode. (laughs) (laughs) There there are no other episodes. All right. With that, Jeffy, would you like to introduce your jukebox segment, which is a segment on our show that discusses music? (laughs) I would indeed. Um, (laughs) Hi, everybody. Uh, With the holidays approaching. This week on Jeffy's Jukebox, we're going to talk about holiday songs that you don't hate. There are a lot of Christmas songs, a lot of holiday songs. Actually, there's just a lot of Christmas songs, isn't it? Mostly, yes. There are a lot of Christmas songs out there, and they get played a lot. But maybe there's some that don't bother you so much. Welcome to Jeffy's Jukebox. Yeah! All right, Jeffy, who's going to kick I'm it gonna off? I'm going to start us off okay. with uh, some low-hanging fruit, as it were, uh, one of my, from one of my favorite Christmas albums. Uh, I don't think this needs any introduction, so... And that's, this, of course, is O. Tannenbaum from the Vince Guaraldi Trio. And if you don't get into the Christmas spirit listening to that song, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's I awfully mean, Christmassy of you. Obviously, uh, yes. that you is what, from for, the, um, the Vince Guaraldi Merry Christmas Charlie Brown album, which as an album. That's right. I think still stands up. I, I don't hate hearing As any an of that. album, I just got yesterday on vinyl because I realized I didn't have it and I wanted it in my living room on vinyl to play on my turntable. Oh, no and way. Uh, I literally just got it. I put it on. It sounds, it, I mean, one of the things I love about that song is not just a great song. The jazz sort of uh, group, you, you feel like you're in the room with them. It's recorded so warmly. And the vinyl of it is part of why yeah. it doesn't get tiresome. I mean, the, the warmth is why it doesn't get tiresome. What a what a classic! And I agree, Jeffy. Fuck the warmth just like and that. the it, it somehow is different and new every time you hear it. Like yeah, yeah, it doesn't have the same sort of. It feels a little improvised, and that mm-hmm. makes it automatically a little bit less repetitive. Even though you're listening to the same recording. 
No, yeah. I agree. It's it it it's it feels live. I mean, it probably is. And it's got a couple live, of great so, yeah. original compositions by Vince Guaraldi that he wrote for Peanuts. Uh, one was called Linus and Lucy, obviously the the dancing yeah. song, and um, Christmas Time is Here, a great ballad. I just want to take yeah. a moment, as long as Jeffy brought up Vince Guaraldi, everybody has everybody loves that album. If you get a chance, take a moment and go back into his catalog a little bit. There's a reason why Charles Schultz chose this man to be the guy to. to uh, to write the music for his first uh, television special, I would say start with "Visions of Black or- Visions from Black Orpheus." I think is the name of the album. It's uh, from the film. It, there's a there's a hit single from the late fifties or mid fifties called "Cast Your Fate to the Wind" that is as good as anything on the uh, Charlie Brown album. Good to know. I've never done yeah, a deep dive. Yeah, wax facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thanks for the knowledge bombs. <laughs> Kevin, who's next? And we're gonna go with Kevin Burke next. Oh, okay, great. Um, I I've really come around on Christmas music. It, now in the world of Alexa, I just have it playing through the whole house all day as I work. So I've come I've, songs I've hated. I've come back around to love. Do you know what I mean? So I really am into Christmas music. This I will take this time to lament. I think as I've done once before on this podcast that that David Lee Roth never made a Christmas album. Cause I do feel like had he done that in 1987, it would be one of the greatest <laughs> Christmas albums we've ever had. I feel I, like we don't we, have to keep coming back to that. Kevin. I know I well, do this. Like it is my, it is one of my noble goals is to put this out into the world. So somehow it happens. Somehow people, someone goes back I, in time and makes that happen. Anyhow, neither here let, nor there. Let's face it. Some, some, some of the best Christmas albums are made by Jews. I, that, story. I yeah, and agreed, agreed. And that would have been an all time classic. And I'm just making making sure. Anyhow, Sign but I, me up. that is not what I came here to talk about. What I did come here to talk about <laughs> was one of my favorite Christmas songs, and why this is my favorite Chris, one of my favorite Christmas songs of two that I'm about to play is is that it avoids all the Christmas tropes. I.e., it doesn't have bells on all four beats going jing 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 jing. Right? That's that's how you make a Christmas song. You just throw bells into anything. This one does not use those tropes, and I am talking about "Merry Christmas, Everybody" by Slade. An all-time Christmas classic. I love that Thanks, song. That Kevin. gets me immediately in the Christmas spirit. Absolutely. And that's Beautiful. not overplayed, which is weird. You would think no. that that song would be heard I, I, all I the don't time think every it's year. Over, I don't think it's overplayed on this side of the pond. It's very possible mm. that over there you hear it constantly. But over here, yeah, it's still a little bit rare, and it's great. I agree. That's uh, that's fantastic. And we don't talk about Slade hardly ever. I think we've mentioned him maybe <laughs> yeah. once Is on this Is this a show. gateway to talk about Slade? I will go. I don't know. Are we opening the door to Slade? 
<laughs> I think 2023 is going to be the year of Slade. Year of Slade. <laughs> just about every year is the 50th anniversary of something they put out. So let's uh, well, yeah, let's think about it. True. <laughs> <laughs> just about every month, as far as I understand it. Um, <laughs> hey, Jeffy, who's next? Next is Brian Frank. All right. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. Um, so, so Thanks for coming into Jeffy's Jukebox. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, gr- growing up as, as a Jew, uh, my family really loved, my mom loved Christmas music. Don't know why. Listened to a lot of Christmas music. But as a child, not a lot of it was mine. And all that changed in 1987. A David Lee Roth Christmas a- special? <laughs> oh my God, what? Was- Give it up. <laughs> There was a, uh, a, a compilation cassette mm. that I had mm. called Christmas Rap, and it featured <laughs> my favorite rap group doing a song about oh, no. the neighborhood that they're from, which is down the street from where I was sitting in my grandma's house. And this, of course, was Run DMC's Christmas in Hollis. Never gets old. Kyle, let's, let's hear a little bit of this. The little Christmas bells, guys. You were going to use that one. I saw that coming. I didn't realize that your grandma lived so close to Hollis, but fantastic. That's man. great. Yeah. That, and you're right. That was, that was, Never gets for, old. for my age too, that was one of the first ones where I thought they make new Christmas songs. This is incredible. Right? Yeah. There was a video. The yeah. video is amazing. If you haven't seen it lately, <laughs> please do yourself a favor. Wow. That's, that's Agreed. just, that's just great. The, 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 the video right, is anyways. in fact great. Um, all right. Um, I, I guess it's my turn. I will uh, take yeah, it. Yeah, you're betting cleanup. Thanks. Here it comes. I'm going to take it in a sentimental direction because I, I wanted to, I wondered, oh. you know, Christmas songs <coughs> lose their emotional impact. I can groove to the, uh, the Run DMC one and the Slade one. But in terms of like songs that are supposed to, you know, make you think of chestnuts roasting on an open fire or missing someone or things like that. Uh, most of those songs over time lose their emotional impact just with repetition. This one doesn't. Kyle, hit it. He's Children will sing 
That is, of course, The Pretenders with 2,000 Miles, uh, a Christmas song I never get tired of. Maybe because it's so damn sad, um, but it, it's, it's fantastic. No, I agree. That Musically, that's very strong, too. That's just, that's just, it takes you, it's transportative. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It gets me every single time, every single year, long after the other songs have kind of like gone into the background of my mind and I don't even hear them anymore. All right, you want to do another round, another quick round? I can do a quick round. Sure, go for it. All right. Hey, I I ended that round. Let's just go in reverse order. This one, Jeffy and I know. I'm guessing Kevin will recognize it because I I can't imagine Kevin didn't see this uh, piece of video that came out about uh, three weeks ago. Um, This is by the old 97s. A brand new Christmas song from the point of view of somebody who's never been on Earth and doesn't know what oh, Christmas yes. is. It's from the this. Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> special. The Hit it, Kyle. Close. Son, there's a special celebration and it sounds quite fun. A jolly old fellow brings toys to everyone on a holiday they call Christmas. Now I'm not going to lie, it makes no sense to me. But here's what Earthlings told me. About this Christmas mystery Santa is a furry freak with epic superpowers He flies to every human home in under 14 hours He's a master burglar, a pro at picking locks If you don't leave milk and cookies out He will put dung in your socks if you act All right, it goes on and on. It, it's a fantastic <laughs> song in a absolutely fantastic new special. I mean, I yeah, I feel I like it. James Gunn and the crew made exactly what they wanted, which is they took all those characters from their movies and t- and said, "What if we made a sort of a '70s esque Christmas special out of it?" And it it works for me on every level. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was excellent, and it also had a great Smashing Pumpkins Christmas song in it that I'm, I didn't bring here, but it was on my list. It was three. It was third on my list. Awesome. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, let's go to uh, Brian. Brian. Uh, all right, I've got one um, that is older than I am. The B-side of this Christmas single was called Listen, the Snow is Falling. And it occurs to me, I've never heard that song. And by the looks on your guys' faces, neither of you. But you have definitely heard the A-side, which is... John Lennon and Yoko Ono with the Plastic Ono Band and the Harlem Community Choir singing Happy Xmas, parentheses, War is Over. Kyle? So this is Christmas And what have you done Another year over And a new one just begun And so this is Christmas I hope you have fun The near and the dear ones The old and the young A very merry Christmas And a happy new year 
Wow. Without any yeah. beard. <laughs> I'm I'm proud to say. So I did a little. I did some research on this song, and I'll tell you why in a second. But interestingly, it was released in America uh, December '71, and in the UK November '72. There was oh, a wow. year gap in wow. between. Came out in the U.S. first, and I know this because I did the research and a little shameless plug slash pride here that two months ago uh, I was part of a team that released the first ever uh, posthumous release from Scott Weiland's vault which is a cover of Happy Christmas War is Over that uh, that Scott recorded in his life and uh, if we could just play maybe a smidge yeah Kyle drop on that one yeah you get to promote your shit on this show Brian this is your show (laughs) so this is Christmas what have you done? Another year over. Oh, wow. A new one just begun. And so this is Christmas. I hope you have fun. That's beautiful. Cover is awesome. That sounded awesome. He always has a good John Lennon-y voice. I will say, when I was a teenager, this was my absolute favorite Christmas song. Like there was no doubt. And now, as an adult, it it just makes me feel terrible about my life. I'm like, what what have I done? Holy oh. shit! It's another year's over. <laughs> oh my god! Done? Like it really. What have you done? Like, maybe maybe Paul's Christmas song will be much happier, make me feel better about my life at this point. <laughs> Oh. Um, so I'm not I'm not emotionally prepared to face <laughs> this you. song every year. Yeah, I hear you. I love that song though. And uh, Brian, is that Scott Whalen record available now? It is available now on all your friendly streaming services and on vinyl. Nice, fantastic. Let's go. Let's go uh, right back to Kevin and then back to Jeffy. I just want to say, you know what? If my Christmas was just full of the music that you guys have been bringing tonight. It, I would have, I would say, 90% less murderous rages during this season. <laughs> 90%. Uh, okay. okay. 90% less. That's a very specific, 10% would remain. Yeah. Yeah, Well, understood. 10% are unavoidable. Unavoidable. You know, some will always remain. Family, yes. family-oriented. Um, mine's, mine's, I mean, uh, the one I'm picking is pretty, in my mind at least, pretty classic. I just think it's the, of all the sort of classic songs that existed before, I was born of Christmas songs. This is this is my favorite one. It's the one I go to every time I want to start Christmas. And it is this song, if you just want to play it. How much fun it's gonna be together. I'm so happy right now. This Christmas, the fireside is blazing bright. We're caroling through the night. And this Christmas will be 
of course, oh is this Christmas by Donny Hathaway, which is uh, so good. It is so it good. Is, it is so good. I wanted to just listen. I just wanted to sit here and listen to that whole song. That was so yeah. good. That is so good. I want to remind our listeners that uh, this is a good time to, to to mention that every time we publish one of these shows, there is in the description of the shows a link to the playlist to the show and Apple Music. You might want to be playing that under your tree this year. All right, Jeffy, bring us home. Absolutely. I'm going to wrap this whole thing in a bow and just say that this song um, is a fantastic Christmas song and was also recently featured on the Guardian special. Kyle? Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank, an old man said to me, won't see another one, and then he sang a song, the rare old mountain dew, I turned my face away. Dreamed about you Got on the lucky one Came in like to one And that, of course, is The Pogues Featuring Christy McCall I sure is Fairy tale of New York Beautiful, beautiful, sentimental way to bring us home Christmas in the drunk tank <laughs> That's right <laughs> I'm I'm keeping it real here. That's beautiful. We all That's have goals. Beautiful. That's right. <laughs> I, Hashtag I never Christmas get tired goals. Of that one. And you know what? I never get tired of you guys. It's been a fantastic year. We started just after Christmas last year, and we're and we're steaming along. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, guys. This has been a good year for DBL and to our listeners. What a good year. It has. We're all in this. Kind of in sentimental mood right now. Oh and, my gosh! Was um, oh, the show over? Yeah. No. All right. I'll no, see you guys later. <laughs> no, but no, we're no, going to hit Dr. Dre in a minute, the, and I feel like this a short break. Yeah, the part like of having any emotions be... has ended. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the House of Wax is going to take these feelings away real quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we'll be hitting Brian's House of Wax next on DBL. Merry <laughs> DBL Christmas. DBL. Dad Band Land is back, and we're about Woo. to drop the holiday spirit into something very different. And the way we're going to do that, <laughs> let me tell you guys, we have a segment that we do on this show where our friend, uh, real-life band manager, Brian Frank, who has an extensive record collection, introduces us to one album that is celebrating a significant anniversary. A now, musical segment? In our waggish, in our waggish and, and whimsical way, we have taken to turning that place into a... Uh, Virtual horror movie every mm. every week, fictional, yeah, of course, not fictional, real. of course, yeah, yes, not real. <laughs> okay. Oh, so this is all play acting. I'm on board. Yes, it's 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 been a form of play acting all this time, but today we're drawing <laughs> back the curtain and approaching approaching a, a feral figure standing in the corner of a porch on that house seems to be gnawing on a leg. Um, hey, sir, squatting there gnawing a leg. What place is this? 
seasoning it with catalytic converters? <laughs> Once we've, we've immediately gone back, we tried to make this accessible and immediately went back to signifiers only we understand. Well, <laughs> Brian, what's playing in your house of wax today? Listen. Uh, tonight we'll be talking about Dr. Dre's debut solo album, The Chronic which was originally released on December 15th, 1992, making it 30 years, 30 years, guys. 30 years. Uh, as of the time of this recording. So, uh, so it's, we all have really chronic back pain. This is really starting to make me pain. feel old. Yeah, yeah, this is the chronic back pain. <laughs> this is really the point when 30 years ago, I remember so clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly. Yeah, so so the version I listened to was my uh, 2001 remaster reissue double vinyl, and I'm really glad that I own it. Uh, and this is not an advertisement for owning vinyl, but I'm glad I own it because this album's not available on it's streaming. It's not. That was a question no, I wanted I, to bring I up. It, it is YouTube. not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the reason why, and it had been, but the reason why is you you guys may have heard that uh, Snoop Dogg has purchased the assets of Death Row Records. And uh, upon his purchase of these assets, he removed the chronic as well as his own 1993 Dr. Dre produced debut album, Doggy Style, uh, from streaming services because he's going to reportedly sell them as NFTs so that oh, no one can listen to them. I ever. did not know that. Oh my, that, that, that was not the answer I expected. Well, that's really sensible. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's why you fine. make music, so only yeah. one person can listen to it. Yeah, no, it's not going to be a one-of-one one NFT, but uh, yeah, so okay. that's, that's his plan. <clears throat> we'll see what happens, but the good news is I already owned the record, right, so you, take see, that. So, so not only too late. Right. So not only is it not on streaming, but you can't even buy the record anymore. Like you can't buy any version of it anymore. Wow. Not, not currently. Not currently. Wow. I'm sure you can find use. No, I'm sure. I just didn't realize. I thought co-op streaming was a, was a licensing thing, but you could still always order a physical copy. But you can't even buy a chronic CD right now if you wanted to. Wow. That is just the kind no. of sensible business decision that we associate with Snoop Lion. <laughs> well, it, um, hey, uh, Brian, <laughs> why don't you talk to us about this yes. record beyond that? <laughs> Yes, I'd love to. I think that uh, to put this record in proper context, we do need a little history uh, that I would like to share. Uh, I'll try to do this briefly, but I think it, it is important to give a sense of the magnitude of this release. So uh, Dr. Dre, or Andre Young, or Dre, as, uh, as some call him, including myself, uh, was a member of the world-class wrecking crew from 1985 to 1986. Odds are you probably didn't really hear of them. But after that group broke up in 1987, NWA was formed, and he was famously a member of NWA, who released their first compilation album, NWA and the Posse, in 1987, uh, which hit number 39 on the hip-hop charts. Uh, after that, he produced... Quite a few things, including um, J.J. Fad's Supersonic, uh, in, which was released uh, June 15th, 88. That song uh, hit number 10 on the dance charts. Number 22 on the black charts, charts, as they were called in 1988. <laughs> and number 30 charts. on the Hot 100. <laughs> What'd you say? What did I miss? Nothing. White charts. White charts. <laughs> I, I just did black charts and white charts. Perfect. Um, 
And uh, he also, um, then NWA released Straight Outta Compton on August 8th, 88, uh, which hit number nine on the top R&B slash hip hop chart, number 37 on the top 200. The Arabian Prince left the group shortly thereafter. Uh, right after that, three months later, Easy E's solo record came out, which was produced by Dre and Yella, which hit number 12 on hip hop and number 41 on their overall charts. And um, this is all for a purpose. Then he produced DOC's No One Can Do It Better the following year, which hit number one on the hip hop chart, number 20 on the top 200. So you see things are climbing, climbing, climbing. You're saying as a Ice producer, Cube. Dre is as gaining prominence and skill. Thank you. Yes, well said. Ice Cube then left NWA and they released their third album, which uh, white people are not allowed to say the title of which hit number one on the R&B and hip hop charts and number one on the top 200. Number one on the top 200. Think about that. Uh, Dre left the group later that year. He joined up with a guy called Suge Knight. If you don't know who that is, look him up. Don't want to give him any airtime. And he started a record label called Death Row Records. And the first release on Death Row was a single uh, on the Deep Cover soundtrack called Deep Cover on April 9th, 1992. This is Dr. Dre's solo debut and Snoop Dogg's overall debut. Hit number four on the Hot Rap chart and number 46 on the Hot R&B slash Hip Hop chart. Hot R&B slash like Hip Hop chart. Yeah. <laughs> ask me what the difference is, why yeah. they had a rap chart. I was about I, to ask that. What is the rap and a hip hop chart? Yeah, no idea. Um, that track was originally intended for the Chronic, but there was concern after the Ice T cop killer controversy, which we had talked about in our previous episode about Ice T and his album. They uh, they left it off the album. They were concerned that that might mess some stuff up. Um, so then, in the context of that, we are and there's many stuff that came after, including uh, the dog, the Dr. Dre produced Snoop Dogg Doggy Style that I mentioned which was the first debut album for an artist ever to enter the Billboard charts at number one, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, That Dre produced album, which has sold over 11 million copies. Um, Right after, in 1992, and there's so much more to talk about, um, he released uh, The Chronic, his album, December 15th, 1992. Uh, This album... uh, hit number one on the R&B hip-hop chart and number three on the top 200. It spent eight months in the top 10, the the Billboard top 10. It has sold over 6 million copies just in the U.S. Uh, In 2019, it was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry as, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I would say all three. Uh, this album launched the careers of Snoop, as we mentioned, Daz Dillinger, Corrupt, Nate Dogg, Warren G. It created a new sound for West Coast hip hop called G-Funk, um, which changed the sound of hip hop at that point. Just prior to this, the, the trend was tons of samples. He used maybe two or three in a song. It was really basically like a really funky bass line and a keyboard line with Parliament samples, Funkadelic samples, Donny Hathaway samples, Kevin, mm-hmm. James Brown, mm-hmm. Bill Withers, Isaac Hayes, Ohio. But were Prince. they I samples? All these records. Yeah, 
Yeah, there were there were samples as well as performed parts on on keyboards, keyboards and keytars, <laughs> reportedly, <laughs> reportedly keytars. Knew it. And, I knew uh, it. That's apocryphal. Yeah. And uh, keytars are even, apocryphal. Uh, and even a couple of samples of uh, hip hop. There's like Public Enemy lines, BDP, Houdini, Cypress Hill, and Kevin. I don't know if you caught it. We could talk about it later. A Led Zeppelin sample. Hmm. Mm-mm, yes. Interesting. Um, <laughs> Famously known for lending their music to sampling. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm almost done with my wax facts. Uh, we can't talk about this album without talking about the three singles. All three singles were Billboard top tens, starting with Nothing But a J Thing, which featured Snoop Dogg, peaked at number one on the Hot Rap singles chart. And the Hot R&B Hip Hop Singles Chart. Number two on the Hot 100. uh, The song has been selected by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Here's a question, though. It only hit number two. Does anyone have an idea in 1992 what song was number one that stopped nothing but a G thing? What what month is this? What month is this? (sighs) It's a good question. I'm gonna go Stone Temple Pilots. I'm good. It's like a, it's like an early '93, early '90s. I'm gonna go with the Whitney Houston from The Bodyguard. I'm gonna go with Soundgarden. Guys, it was the other famous hip hop song of the time, "Informer." Oh, by, by Snow. Snow. Oh, a, uh, a classic, of course. White charts. White <laughs> <laughs> charts. That kept them from number one. Was Informer? Wow. By Snow. That's, yeah, wow. Wow. I don't even know where (laughs) Um, to go with that. The the second single uh, was Fuck With Dre Day and Everybody Celebrating, in parentheses, also featuring Snoop Dogg. Number one, dance. Number six, hot R&B slash rap. Number six, rhythmic, whatever that's a euphemism for. And number (laughs) eight, hot 100. Uh, Lastly- It was all euphemisms back then. Yes, exactly. It was number Uh, one on the euphemism charts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Euphemism charts. uh, The third single was Let Me Ride with Snoop Dogg, of course, rapping Rolling My 6-4, and the chorus with Ruben and Jewel. Um, Number one, rhythmic. Number three, hot R&B hip-hop. Number three, rap. Number four, dance. Number 34, Hot 100. And that won him the Grammy for Best Rap Solo Performance. Uh, those are my wax facts. I know that maybe some of you guys, this was not the soundtrack to your 92, 93, the way it was mine. So I'm going to I'm gonna turn this over to the room to start. Well, I, I want to just quickly say it was my soundtrack, except like Automatic for the People, which came out a month before. I also never bought it because I was in a college dorm and literally <laughs> every single human had a copy of this. Like Everybody I just walked, had it. I just walked down the halls. And I heard every song from this just playing 24-7. So it's one of those records I just assumed or I had. Automatic from the automatic for the people. Automatic for the people and that. You know, Back I and I, forth. I assumed yeah. I had them, yeah. Um, and I never owned either of them. It's just that they were always in whatever place I was. So I'm with you, Brian, but I never bought it. It was just the soundtrack to my life. I um, had, frankly, I had, some, I had some resistance to this album at the time. Sorry, my camera keeps shutting off. Um... Because as a person from Chicago, and at the time, you know, house was house music was a big thing. 
there was this resistance to West Coast rap and hip hop. And so I was really, you know, I was familiar with it, but I definitely kind of avoided it from, you know, because of my provincial loyalty to house music. Well, no, Jeffy, that's a really good point because there was still so much regionalism at hip hop in hip hop at the time. And we could talk about what was going on at that time with the East Coast, West Coast beef. I want to talk about that right now. That went on. Go ahead. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, because I resisted this for another reason. Um, you know, as and you know what, listening to it again this week really kind of brought me around to, to a different place with it. In 1992, and as Jeffy and I have talked about, we were Jeffy and I were fans of kind of the same hip hop in the late 80s, early 90s. I was very East Coast identified, and I was, as you guys know, very, I very much, you know, am a guy about the lyrics. And so, from Public Enemy to Boogie Down Productions up in the Bronx to out on Long Island, uh, you know, De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest and Aaron Queens and like the, the, all those people, their lyrics were amazing. And the sound was, you know, depending on which, which ones you're talking about, was unremarkable or remarkable. But that was hip hop to me. And when N.W.A. hit, kind of in the middle of all that, um, their lyrics were clearly not for me. I mean, they were and they, they were right. not meant for me. And then when this album comes out, not only are they not for me, I, I like listening to, you know, I. I they're reporting on their real life experience, but not contextualizing in a way that, say, Public Enemy might. They're not trying to teach you anything. Um, you know, Chuck D implored you to learn the words you might sing this, and you know, uh, and and Boogie Down Productions brought this whole concept of Afrocentrism to people, and and tried to. This is not what West Coast hip hop did. And what became even more uncomfortable for me was watching middle class white kids attached to this album. Because that felt like condescending ghetto tourism, and it made me uncomfortable. Well, and, and um, to be fair, that was that still is an uncomfortable component about this particular particular record or or hundred percent. But yeah. um, no, and I but and before, I would love to. Yeah, go ahead, continue. Because I, I can. I, I, was I was say, gonna, before I go yeah. on, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go on. You want to go on? Go yeah, ahead, I just want to go. go on. On. I say, having said all that, and this is so. This is an album that I knew very well, but never. Uh, bonded with because I was like, this is not, uh, you know, for whatever reason, never bonded with it. Listening to it now, and, and I can listen to it like Kevin Burke listens to music. In other words, <laughs> the lyrics don't matter at all. Well, and, and, and when you yeah, when yeah. you can listen to it and dispose of the lyrics, the sound is unbelievable. The 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 the, the, yeah. the soundscape that's being created there, the entire future of hip hop is on this album. And it's it's gooey and it's laid back and it's fantastic and it's funky. There's a thousand hooks that weren't even on the songs that were being sampled. Uh, it's just yeah. that's what, sonically there's everything to love about this. Album. I love the and, pick and up. I see that and, now in a way. And the rhythms do. and the phrasing, like yep, the just the fact that I can separate uh, the lyrics, which in very many cases are problematic. But the phrasing and the rhythm of it is so compelling. Yeah. That and Snoop. Snoop is a revelation. To, yeah, and you're willing to take a little 
misogyny and violence. Maybe? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, let me. Let me. Yeah. Let me. Let me add to that because I want to pick up sort of what, what what you're both saying, but what Adam was saying is, and I didn't have a a regional opinion on hip hop, but I had a a musical opinion on it, which I didn't associate to one particular area of town, but when, of, of the country. But when this showed up, and again, throwing the lyrics out, and lyrics are less important to me in general. Interesting on a rap record right. for me to just throw out lyrics, but. For, for the sake of this conversation, <laughs> for the sake of this conversation, no, no, it makes sense though. Totally this part of this sense. conversation, no. I'll have to throw them out because that's a whole different, you know, set of issues. I w- when it first came out, I was not ready for the laid back, like less, you know, up tempo um, rap music. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was, it ultimately it was just not what I associated with rap. And then add to it the keyboard that essentially like the, the sort of flute sample that almost sounds like you have a fever. It was like. Beep, it's just kind of that becomes this thing instead of hitting all the beats it's sort of this ex, like this held note and at the time it took me a couple of years to wrap my head around this because I was like I don't know if I like this sound it's too different than what I'm used to and then going back to it this week I can't like if I was really following tightly hip-hop more and it was part of my life like just hearing this album how explosive this must have felt to, to people who made rap at the time, to people that were big fans of this music. I, I knew the albums, but I wasn't following it in the same way that, say, when Nirvana showed up, I was following guitar rock. And listening to this, right. I could actually hear that. I was like, oh, my God. This literally, like you said, Adam, this became the sound of the 90s. This is explosive. Yeah. And I became so much more used to this sound and all the art, not just rap and R&B, became this production sound all the way through the 2000s. So going oh, back to great. it, it was almost like yeah. going back to the Big Bang and being like, oh, shit, this really is where it began. This is the record <laughs> yeah. that I that I took a little bit for granted, didn't necessarily love because musically it just seemed a little too mellow for my tastes, ends up being a defining piece of work that I didn't appreciate as much as I should have right. at the time. Brian. Well, and, and that's the thing. So I was a hardcore New York rap person and regionalist, 100%. The summer of 92 was the first time in my life I came to Los Angeles. And I spent my summer here. The you picked pick a good summer. Nothing happened that summer here, right? It was pretty yeah, exactly. It was, it was pretty <laughs> mellow. I mean, you know, right, right before I came out, you know, maybe there was an incident or two, but, you know, it was fine. Um, and, uh, and lived in my cousin's house. And I lived here in, in L.A. For, for three months. And likely were it not for that experience, I would have had the same reaction as you, Kevin, to when this came out, that I I wouldn't have gotten it or would have been more dismissive, what, you know, however you want to couch right. it, because I was a East Coast hip hop snob and my shit was hard, you know what I mean? Right. And the beats were right. fast and it was a lot of samples. And like Adam saying, there was the Native Tongues crew and, you know, you had yeah. to be saying something. There was, <clears throat> it was such a different perspective, but I had seen... Uh, with my own eyes, what it was like out here. And this resonated with me so deeply because of that. And I got it. And you're right. I mean, look, it it certainly helped to smoke a blunt and drink some (laughs) gin juice or some Hennessy to enjoy the laid back vibe, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what struck me is that this sounded, this, this sounded like weed rap. Do you know what I mean? It sounded like you're more mellow about this as opposed to, and I don't even know what track I'm going to equate it to, but opposed to living in a city, (laughs) like an actual city with skyscrapers rap. You know, it just didn't. But on the other hand, rat-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat, like that. 
Yeah. That's not really laid back. No, it's laid no. back no. violence. I mean, it's yeah. all, yes. it, but the sound is laid back, but the, the life they're singing about is is not. Far and, from and it. It, it, it. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah. you know, uh, you know, and that dominated rap for the next year or two. And then all of a sudden the East Coast answered with a more frantic view of what that life was like with, with, with uh, when Biggie came in. Biggie came in pretty hard well, right after this, didn't he? One, one thing I want to say is, as a person from Chicago, I was insulated from the East and West. <laughs> I want to differentiate yes. what you were saying about East Coast rap. Yeah, I was rap resistant just because it felt like the East and West Coast were stealing the thunder from house music from Chicago. And I'm listening to Frankie Knuckles, and 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 they got all the all the accolades, and ultimately house music, sorry, house music was at least as influential, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. But I would say they stole the th it stole the thunder from R and B as well. Like this record ends up just redefining how music was produced, how R and B rap. Even house music was produced for the rest of the decade. Do you know? I mean, even the compressions mm -hmm. and stuff. Yep. I mean, it like it is invigorating to hear this now. It still sounds fresh to me. It still sounds dangerous yeah. and fresh. It's, it's uh, honestly, it sounded amazing, and I was amazed at my sort of Kevin Burke attitude, <laughs> where no, me too, I was me too. I went, I went full Burke on this. So like so enraptured by. Specifically, the phrasing, like the rhythm of how, like you knew what was coming, but just like the best singers, uh, the best vocalists in any genre, they do something that surprises you, even yeah. though you know what's coming. And, and what I'm saying, when, I, when I'm saying not listening to the lyrics, I, I don't mean the vocal melodies are being ignored. I meant the actual words, like the vocal right, right. melodies here are yeah, fantastic the and the rhythms are fantastic. Amazing. And, and even like the harmonies and the things that come in are fantastic. Um, yeah. And then when you get to it, yeah, there are some problematic things or things that I would put into the category of that was probably accurate to the time and the lifestyle. And I'm so far removed from from that, but I get it. Um, but it, but. But I'm also, talking about it's, the production of this it's record. It's uniquely, yeah, exactly. And the production is great. Also, lyrically, it's also not very funny. No. You know, one of the greatest things about about hip hop from the from the first needle drop is that hip hop is, has some fantastic jokes embedded in it. Not yeah. true. Not true of this. Not true of the first NWA but album. Even well, even the skit they the 20, do, the twenty yeah, thousand dollar pyramid. pyramid. Yeah. Yes, it's, and that's it's not just song. not that funny. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I love twenty thousand dollar pyramid as much as the next guy. Guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, any closing thoughts on this? I don't have any closing thoughts. My opening thoughts are the thoughts I had. It's unbelievable. I, I mean, I, it's definitely. I have I have one last thing to say, and I said it before. Rat -a -tat 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 -tat, <laughs> like that. <laughs> Like that. I'm thinking we should all invest in an NFT, apparently. We need to purchase this in, in its only available hey, format. Yeah, yeah, you have the record. Yeah, have listeners, record. if you're I, out there, I, you can I, get I a hold have, of this. I may have a cassette somewhere. I mean, I I, I was grooving along to this, and so I, I just enjoyed almost every song, even though parts of me were telling me to turn it off. Yeah, me too, Jeffy. Just, yeah. just... just 
so happy to listen to Irre- it. Irresistible <laughs> sounds. And uh, if, if you yeah. can afford an NFT, everybody, or you can just uh, <laughs> hop over to YouTube, or you own this, I recommend give it a listen. Because you know, Go the yeah. Kevin Burke route. Pretend you don't speak English. Um, and enjoy every single sound on this record. Yes. All right, Dad Van Land will be right back with some guilty pleasures right after this. DBL! Woo! DBL. DBL. Dad Bandland is back, and boy, we have had a just a wonderful. We're simply having a wonderful Christmas time here. Uh, it, <laughs> that song oddly wasn't mentioned in in yeah. our second oh, segment no. in Jeffy's jukebox. No, I meant, but I now it's it. time. I mentioned it when I felt was feeling guilty by John's song. Sometimes I want to go. Over oh, you mentioned Paul McCartney's song to clean my yeah. palate of guilt. <laughs> well, now it's time for us to get that guilt right back because it's time for one of our favorite segments, Guilty Pleasures. And uh, we've sent all our guilty pleasures to Kyle because, you know, we're all isolated once again in this resurgence of COVID. And Kyle has chosen the order in which we are going to offer these songs that maybe we shouldn't like as much as we do, but we do. <laughs> <laughs> With that in mind, Brian Frank has been chosen to be the guy to lead off the guilty pleasures. Go, Brian. Go. All right. So I we are go for Brian. <laughs> I have a song from 25 years ago. This song was number one in 25 countries. It sold over 18 million copies. What year? It is the 1997. It is the second best-selling physical single by a woman in music history. It is one of the best-selling physical singles of all time. It was the best-selling single of 1998. And this will probably give it away. Okay. Uh, okay, it won it. Grammys for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, Song of the Year, oh. Record of the Year, Song Written Specifically for Motion Picture Television. It won the Billboard Music Awards Soundtrack Single of the Year, the Golden Globe for Best Original Song, and the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Kyle, could you please grace <laughs> our viewers with this masterpiece? Fuck you. <laughs> this is a fucking awesome song. Listening to this whole song. No, we're not. <laughs> Kyle will find a better clip of, of uh, it. But so, in case you're not from planet Earth, that is uh, <laughs> Celine Dion's "My Heart Will Go On," uh, which was released uh, for the uh, motion picture soundtrack for Titanic, as well as on her album "Let's Talk About Love." And uh, yeah, this that's classic. I saw, yeah, I saw the news about right. Celine Dion. Today, the uh, day we're recording really this. Upsetting. Yeah, the day that we're recording this about her medical issues. 
And the song immediately popped into my head and it is an all time classic. And you, you know, maybe you want to hate it because it's so successful, but you can't, you can't guys. Not, can't not completely. No. But no. And but I got to say, is about the, uh, this is what this... Guilty Pleasures is about. I mean, if, if you if you fans out there want to take a look at our uh, the cover of this this uh, podcast, you'll notice that Brian Frank is the guy who's the band manager who's covered in with all but his teeth in 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 ink, rock and roll man, Brian Frank. And he brings us Celine Dion's I Believe My Heart Will Go On. That is what Guilty Pleasures are all, are all about. And I mean, you are that's 100 percent right. Yeah, it's you know, an I awesome guess. song, but I have to say. I was at a wedding once, and the bride came in to that song, and we were all very confused because it's about someone dying, and you go on after them. Yeah, how's that, that marriage How's that marriage? How's that marriage doing now? I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I got to give you credit. I got to give you credit. And I don't know how long it took for you to come to this, but, but 25 years is a good amount of time to come to admit that you love this song so much. You know, I think that I, 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 at the time I secretly knew all the words, but no one was going to admit that they actually liked this song yet. Everyone was buying this song and voting for yeah. this song and loving this song. And then secretly be like, yeah. Oh no, no, it's from Titanic. I don't like that song. That's not cool. But we all. By the way, uh, recently had to watch it again for that other podcast I'm on, the great nobody listens. You've another podcast. We 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 recently reviewed um, Titanic, and I'm happy to report to you all that unlike uh, that song, that movie still blows. (laughs) You're still you're still you're still so cool in '97. Let me tell you something. Do you hate the song or the movie? I'm confused. The song is great. Yeah. Okay. But Adam is still the coolest the guy movie. of 1997. <laughs> that is no doubt. Yeah. Do you hate Forrest Gump? Like, it's, no, it's no Avatar. It's no, it's yeah. no Would Avatar. Would you rather watch Titanic or Forrest Gump? Wow. Yeah. I would Sophie's own yeah. Titanic and live inside that movie before I had to watch Forrest Gump again. Interesting. Now, Forrest Gump is an atrocity. Oh. Forrest Gump is a war crime. Titanic is merely uh, a bad this movie. Is similar, <laughs> this is similar to, to my the same the same year, my lover, that Aerosmith song from, from Armageddon, too, that I, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it should be. I should oh, be shaking. Oh, yeah, that's but a good anyhow. song. Yeah, that's Which a I song. avoided that whole year. Yeah. I never heard yeah, that Yeah, so you were too cool. You were too cool for Aerosmith, but not the Celine Dion song. I don't know. Standing on the prow of a cool boat with your arms Dion. out. <laughs> it's 20, 25 years later. Well, it's guys. a safe 25 space. Years 25 years later. is the safe yeah, space. You're right, hey. Kevin. 25 years is the mark. Yeah. That's the mark. I let's knew bring it. us I to today tell. and yeah. to let, let's bring us to today and to Jeffy Branion, your guilty pleasure. Okay, so this is a song from 1975, and it's the group, it, it's they're not problematic at all in terms of Anything they've done, but <laughs> going? I do feel guilty for loving this song. I, I mean, I love this song. I love it. <laughs> Play it, Kyle. <laughs> Try to reach for you, but you have closed your mind. 
Man, it makes me feel optimistic about the world. Wow. I'm with you. And it's literally a cry for help. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the world is doing now. Yeah, exactly. That's the optimism. Someone will come. (laughs) Someone will come. Someone will save us. SOS. No, that's that's probably my favorite ABBA song too. That's crazy that you picked what's probably my favorite ABBA song as well. Well, really, that's, yeah, it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. It's got so many little, little buildups. It's got yeah, it's great. I've never yeah. really listened. I could to them. I, I could actually talk about that song for a half an hour. No, and Brian, I I never I'm not gonna. I never listened to it much either. But my kids went through a phase, and we were on vacation this summer, and so one of the playlists that got played in the car on on a beach trip was that and so now i have only all these positive oh associations God. with that song and that band and and it's a great one jeffy is right because they're yeah. one of the greatest Never bands heard it, of all time and that's an awesome song agreed it is an awesome song no doubt all right we're gonna move on by fiat of uh kyle mcgraw uh i am the next one to to be here to to offer a a guilty pleasure. This one is not guilty at all anymore. It was guilty in the time that I chose it. And I chose it because we did um, uh, The Chronic tonight. Wait, I chose wait, a 1992 on, but, 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 hit. But wait, wait, but but it, when time, you, oh, I got you. I'm following you. I got lost. I was like, in the time since you chose it, it became cool again in the last like 24 hours. I don't know if it's cool or not, but there's no reason to be, guil- there's no reason to be guilty about it. Um, oh, oh, we'll be the judge of that, Back Adam. At- Back at the time, though, as as Kevin pointed out, like R and B was kind of pushed to the side by mm-hmm. hip hop in in ninety two, and I most of us were listening to a lot of uh, hip hop and alternative rock. It was the year of uh, many albums that we've covered, including Core, right? And mm-hmm. uh, there was Nirvana and Pearl Jam floating around, and this song climbed the R and B charts, probably the dance charts, um, and <laughs> I unapologetically. Charts. Love this song, and you guys probably love it too. Hit it, Kyle. I don't know where there's any guilt here. Just a little reminder that it was not all grunge and hip hop in 1992. That is, that is some radio wonderfulness right there. No, in fairness, history yeah. makes it feel like it's all gangster rap and grunge, 
But there was like this song, there was Achy Breaky Heart. Like reality taught us that that was not what was <laughs> yeah. happening. And this song, that was a classic. Classic. And by the way, that whole album, Funky Divas, Funky Divas is a great album. Well, dude, now you're going too far. No one has the album, Funky Divas, do they? I oh, I did, oh. and I loved it. I, oh. I, I might have kept it at the bottom of my shelf, but I loved that. <laughs> I bet it is great. I just didn't know anyone who had it. it That's is. awesome. You looked at it when no one was looking. Would you, uh, would you name, that. Adam, would you name the track an artist for my mom who's listening? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. That, <laughs> that is, uh, you're never going to get it, right? Or, or what's the actual title of it? Um, um, it, it might be My Lovin'. Um, yeah, it's My Lovin', You're Never Gonna Get It, parenthetically. That all is, My Lovin'. That is En Vogue from the album Funky Divas. In 1992, that's my loving. Um, also, uh, there was a couple of other hits from that album, including "Free Your Mind," uh, yeah. which was, which yeah, was, that was a, a, good song. a big hit. Oh, that was a good song. And uh, giving him something he can feel. Oh man, which was a wow, steamy that, that ballad. Album, that album was a factory. Hit factory. Wow. For for those of you at home, Adam was reading those titles off the back of the CD in his hand. <laughs> that he got out of his car. He had a car binder. He pulled shut out. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> shut, shut up. up. It's Kevin's turn. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> it, is, it is my Bring turn. Up, I do think it's amazing that Jeffy just started singing All My Lovin' because that ties into what I'm about to bring into my guilty pleasure because I... Really? Um, yeah. Because um, we never really talk about parody bands much on this show. And um, this is a Not band, enough, anyway. Not enough. And, and, uh, <laughs> and someone, someone turned me on to them, this band, about maybe, maybe about 20 years ago. And this is a parody band, but but to enjoy this parody band to its fullest requires you to have pretty detailed knowledge of two specific bands, and then you enjoy them <laughs> on the level that's intended. But you have to know these bands very specifically to enjoy the levels of comedy crammed into this music that they make. And I am, of course, talking about the band Beatallica, which is a band that plays Beatles-esque <laughs> songs in a Metallica manner. In the style of Metallica? With lyrics that are wow. Metallica references. And, um, and every song is, is fucking great. But the song that I'm recommending here is a song called Ellipsis and Justice for All My Loving. And we're going to take this... Wait, is this Guilty Pleasures or Hidden Treasures? <laughs> well, the guilt is... Both, I don't. I I, it's a little bit of both. And I think that pretty much is where I where I reside, but I, it's guilty pleasure in the sense that parody bands aren't things that I get into normally, but I can't deny that I'll put this on and enjoy it more than quote unquote legitimate music. I've listened to this at times more than some Beatles albums. So we have that. (laughs) Um, And take a listen to this. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you <laughs> All right. And well, I got the I part honestly now. can't believe that 
that happened. <laughs> That's a thing. You should get into them. They have such hits as Leper Madonna and other such classics. I've heard Leper Madonna. <laughs> wow. I've yeah, Metallica. Metallica is a gift, and Metallica is only appreciated if you have an extensive love of Metallica and the Beatles, and you can combine <laughs> these two together. Merry Christmas, one and all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I feel like they're an analog to Dread Zeppelin. If you yeah, love reggae, in, in, in a way, but Zeppelin. that was Red Gay Led Zeppelin. But these are two specific bands. This isn't like <laughs> a we, we get it. This isn't a metal. This isn't a metal Beatles. So wait a minute. Can you explain it to me like I'm a five year old? Yeah, okay. Two specific bands. It's the same explanation. <laughs> yeah. Here's what it is. <laughs> That's how you explain to five year olds. You obviously had a five year old. You say it twice. <laughs> All right. Well, that's delightful oh, and weird. Um, all right. It is now time for uh, one of the last of the year. I think it's the, the penultimate of the year. It's time for Kyle's crown of shame. Kyle, <laughs> step to the mic and tell us who wears the crown of shame this week. All right. This week, the crown goes to Kevin Burke. I don't know. I'm just not I'm not Ooh, I'm not yeah. totally sold on on his guilt there. <laughs> I, I think he loves well, it. I'm not sure and that I really guilty. think that. He wished tonight was Hidden Treasure Night. Uh, you know what? I have this issue yeah. with, with Hidden Treasure and Guilty Pleasure. I'm like, I don't know what they are. I did, I did it last week with Iron <laughs> Butterfly. I'm like, I, do I like this? Do I what not do you like mean this? You don't know. How many shows have we done? No, the fine line between what I was a guilty pleasure and a hidden treasure to me is almost nil at no. this point. It's almost no. nil. I love that the people who 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 populate this show also tear it apart from the inside. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> This has been one of the last DBLs of the year. Dad Band Land is produced by Starburns Audio, by Kyle McGraw, and by Jeffy Branion. A uh, big thanks to um, our editor, Kyle McGraw, and uh, our theme song is by Adam Korn. Have I, co- have I covered everything? I haven't. No. Kyle, can you do this? You, know, you remember it more than Adam. All does. right, everybody, send your questions and comments to uh, dadbandland at gmail.com. <laughs> Dad Band Land is produced by me, Adam Felber, and by Jeffy Branion. <laughs> Uh, opening music montage by Jeffy. <laughs> opening music montage by Kyle. <laughs> opening Severance production by Kyle McGraw. We love you all in Dad Band Land. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Maybe put Kyle it should just do the whole show. Unprecedented. A podcast network.